verse by verse. We're now getting deep into the life of David. 1 Samuel chapter 23. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Bible, raise your hand. Any Bibles? Everyone prepared tonight. Very impressed. Let's pray before we begin. Lord, I just thank you for uh, every bit of your word, Lord. And uh, I just thank you, Lord, that uh, there's grace on every page. And Lord Jesus, even as you gave those two uh, disciples on the road to Emmaus, Lord, uh, that, that Bible study of your word, I'm sure you were in First Samuel, Lord, that day, as well as, as the rest of, of uh, the book of Moses and the prophets. And, and I just pray that you would lead us this morning, Lord God. And I pray even as their hearts were burning, it says uh, there in Luke, Lord, I pray that our, heart, our hearts would do the same thing, even as we're uh, convicted, exhorted, encouraged, uh, rebuked, edified, built up, Lord, by uh, the Holy Spirit this evening. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we are, uh, we are in chapter 23, verse 14, just uh, by way of short review. Uh, David, uh, a shepherd after God's own heart, he started uh, very much alone. Uh, he and God uh, with the stars above and not much else. Uh, he was taking care of sheep, and, and, and during a time uh, when he was a shepherd, God just really tilled the soil in his heart and uh, introduced himself to David, drew David close to him, and uh, here he was being raised up as a man of God, and basically no one in the, the world knew what was going on, and, and that's so often uh, what God does. He raises up men and women of God. No one on the face of the earth oftentimes knows what's going on, but he's, he's making great men and women uh, just in, in a relationship with them. Sometimes it's completely isolated uh, in the way that David was, and he's, he's raised him up. And then David is introduced to uh, Israel, he comes uh, into uh, the army camp when they are being taunted by uh, Goliath. And just that sensitive heart that he had to God at that time, he saw Goliath taunting the uh, people of God. And he said, why does uh, this uncircumcised Philistine uh, do this to God's people? And it made no sense to him because he was so sensitive to who God was. And so he defeats uh, Goliath, and pretty soon he's sitting at the king's table. He is married to the king's daughter. He is commander of a, uh, a battalion of a thousand men, the Bible says. Uh, he has people, uh, actually women, uh, guys, I don't know if you could take this, so I tell you what, women singing songs for him as he went down uh, the, uh, the, the middle of the streets uh, there in Israel, and he's just really riding on the crest of a wave, and he was walking in righteousness, and even during a season where he was walking in righteousness, his whole world 
turned upside down, and Saul turned against him. And pretty soon, he is on the run. He's living in desolate conditions, and he's thinking, uh, Saul's uh, chasing him. Actually, Saul wipes out an entire city, kills uh, 70 priests, and then um, all their families, and then everyone else in the city of Nob in pursuit of David. And, and David is, is thinking in his heart. He's thinking, wait a second. I served God. I followed God. I loved God. All I ever did was I'm obedient to God. Why is my whole life uh, turned upside down? And, 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 so, and so many times, uh, uh, people who are following the Lord, their lives turn upside down, and they start questioning uh, who, uh, you know, questioning whether, whether they're, they're in a right relationship with God, or, or they're questioning whether God even exists. And, and, and if you're there in that place, well, you have a, a wonderful example in David. Actually, what was going on, God was raising him up to be the king of Israel had already been anointed to be that, but he had to be prepared to actually uh, sit on the throne. And so uh, uh, in verse 14, uh, what we're just picking up there at the beginning of the chapter, uh, a city that was being attacked by the Philistines asks, asks David for help. He comes and defeats the Philistines and he saves the city. Uh, but uh, as soon as Saul came with his men, uh, the city turns, uh, well, threatens to turn uh, uh, David over to them. So uh, David departs. Learn a little something about serving God in the process. That you're not always you're not always going to get pat on the back. Sometimes you may even get stabbed in the back uh, for serving God, and that's what happens to him in the city of Kila. And then in, in in verse 14 it says, "And David stayed in strongholds in the wilderness and remained in the mountains in the wilderness of Ziph. Saul sought him every day, but God did not deliver him into his hand." Now, as we've talked about many times on Sunday evening, the Old Testament, uh, there, are, there are, are, are types, uh, the, the life of David and the life of Joshua and going into the promised land, the Israelites in the, uh, Israelites in the wilderness, uh, they're a type of, of oftentimes the Christian experience. And right here in verse 14, uh, there, there's some typology here that I want to bring out here. It says, again, David stayed in the wil- strongholds in the wilderness it says, Saul sought him every day, but God did not deliver him into his hands. And so Saul here, I mean, David here is a type of believer, a type of Christian believer. He's a foreshadowing of what the life of a believer would be. Saul is a type of the enemy of our soul, Satan himself. Uh, David's battle is a type of the battle uh, that we're in every single day with the enemy of our souls. If you don't think uh, that, if you think that in your your spiritual warfare uh, with Satan, if you think that, oh, well, you can give Satan a knockout blow and that'll be it. There'll be a time in your life where you won't have to deal with them anymore because you'll just knock them out by your faith or something. Don't be deceived. Look what it says here. It says in verse 14, it says, Saul sought him every day. And, and listen, although the Bible says that greater is the power in us than the power in the world, Satan will go after us every day if we are seeking the Lord as David was, if we are in, in, uh, in God's will. 
as David was. The, the women on um, Wednesday night are in Ephesians chapter 6 and they're doing studies in spiritual warfare. And, and you know, this last Wednesday, uh, Stephanie told me that the lesson was on, or, or maybe it was the Wednesday before, I can't remember, the lesson was on just standing. And, and Watchman Nee has a famous book that we actually sell. It's called Sit, Walk, Stand. And, and that's how we really do warfare with the, the enemy. We just stand. What? Stand in our faith. Stand uh, in the realization of who we are in Christ Jesus. And in Ephesians, it says that, you know, when we're uh, born-again Christians, we are blameless and holy in his sight. So all the attacks of the enemy uh, are, are, you know, we can actually stand in, believing who we are uh, in Christ. And so... Satan's method is to wear you away little by little. It's a long, drawn-out process. And what he wants you to start with is just a little compromise. A compromise here, a compromise there, uh, thinking about things maybe too long in your mind, uh, a, a fantasy or, or, or whatever. And, and, you know, pretty soon fantasies, uh, you know, start... Uh, getting to the point where you're acting the fantasy out, and then and then it goes from there to something um, really really serious, and uh, and and you know that's how that's how Satan worked uh, works. Uh, recently, uh, a, a pastor of a very large Calvary chapel uh, in the in the uh, in the West just fell into sin with. Um, you know, he was unfaithful to his wife, and I guarantee you, it didn't happen overnight. I guarantee you, it just started out in his mind. And believe me, I'm very familiar with those kind of thoughts. And 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 you know something? The Bible says we have to be relentless with that kind of thought. We have to saturate it uh, with prayer and with the Word of God. And, and uh, you know, Philippians 4.8, whatever is right, whatever is of good report, think on those things. And, and, and so it'll never get to the place where there's even that first uh, compromise. But this is Satan's method. It says, Saul sought him every day. And what was happening during that time? Let me tell you, he was getting worn out worn out. But if you stand, if you stand the way the Bible tells you to stand, this is what's going to happen. Verse 15, so David saw saw that Saul had come out to seek his life, and David was in the wilderness of Ziph in, in the forest. And verse 16, then Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David in the woods and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. I tell you, talk about humility. This guy, Jonathan, I tell you, it's convicting just reading about this guy. Uh, it says, even my father Saul knows that. So the two of them made a covenant before the Lord, and David stayed in the woods, and Jonathan went to his own house. So Jonathan, even though in the world's eyes he was next in line, he knew uh, the promise of God here. He knew uh, you know, that, that, that God was going to make David king. But here's what happens when you stand fast against the enemy. What happens? The Holy Spirit, who Jesus calls the Comforter, will come and comfort you. And he will comfort you with what? Truth. <laughs> I mean, that's all, uh, that's all Jonathan did here. Um, he, he, he left the security of, of the palace or the, 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 you know, the king's table, and he went out to, to the enemy, who was David, and he, he encouraged him. And all he did 
was encourage him with the truth. And that's what, again, Jonathan, again, a type of what the Holy Spirit does in our lives as Christian believers, just coming in and, and, uh, and comforting us uh, with the tru- uh, truth. You know, fear during our, our daily battle uh, against the enemy of our souls, fear will creep in, and guess what will go out the door? The promises of God. They will go right out the door, and, 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 and that's why we need to, to, to seek after the Lord and ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that we are reminded um, of, of truth. You know, I, I, I got to tell you, every time a fear starts to creep into my heart, just as we were talking about this morning when we're talking about uh, Matthew 23 and Jesus talking about how, I, how I've longed to gather you, Jerusalem, as a hen gathers its chick under its wings. God's always faithful to just bring us into his bosom where the warmth is, the, the heart, his heartbeat is, and, and just the, the wisdom and, and, and fear will just dissipate. And, and, you know, this is what happens to, to David uh, right here. Jonathan uh, comes in and he just encourages him uh, with the truth. And, you know, it's so important that we need to encourage each other in our calling. We absolutely do. The Bible says, and those of you who know me, I've quoted this a thousand times over the last 10 years, Hebrews 3.13. It says, uh, it says, as long as it is called today, encourage each other, lest your heart be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Hebrews 3.13. Let me tell you, if you think you can get by outside the body of Christ, you are being deceived. Your heart will be deceived, will be hardened by sin's deceitfulness if you're not in the body of Christ being encouraged. And when people come in to, to church, uh, particularly maybe people that haven't been around a while, you need to encourage them in the promises of God. Very rarely is there a need to rebuke. That's what Satan does. Uh, and accuse. What people need is the truth. They need the truth of the uh, uh, of the promises of God. Yes, there's a time for confrontation. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. But people need encouragement. They need encouragement to remind them of their calling, remind them of the promise of God, remind them uh, of just what the blessing it is just to be uh, in the body of Christ. Embrace the body of Christ. And so in verse 19, it says, Then the Ziphites came up to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is David not hiding with us in strongholds in the woods in the hill of Hakalilah, which is on the south of Jeshimon? So they're ratting the guy out again. So David, you can just imagine uh, how, how he needed, by the way, how timely was this encouragement from Jonathan, I tell you, because it comes right before yet just another time, just these spineless people who are ratting him out. At verse 20, it says, Now therefore, O king, come down according to all the desire of your soul to come down, and our part shall be to deliver him into your hand. And Saul said, Blessed are you of the Lord, for you have compassion on me. And, and you know what Saul was doing? He was disobeying one of the Ten Commandments when he said that. You know which one? It was the one that says, you know, do not take the name of the Lord in vain. He was misrepresenting God because he said, blessed are you of the Lord, when, as if he was speaking for the Lord, and he wasn't speaking for the Lord. And over and over again, 
you know, people say things from time to time, oh, well, look at the, everything that's been done in the name of the Lord by Christians over the, uh, you know, over the centuries. Well, you know, that's not new news. People from the beginning of the Bible use the name of the Lord uh, it, it, when they had absolutely no right to do so, when they were even the enemies of God. And here you have the same thing. Someone who was an enemy of God, this was, Saul is a man by this point who had put himself up in opposition to God, and he's taking on the name of the Lord as if he represented him. So people have been doing that for thousands of years. And verse 22, Saul says, Please go and find out for sure and see the place where his hideout is and who has seen him there, for I am told he's very crafty, this David guy. Uh, See therefore and take knowledge of all the lurking places where he hides and come back to me with certainty and I will go with you. And it shall be, if he is in the land, that I will search for him throughout all the clans of Judah. So they arose and went to Ziph before Saul. But David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon in the plains of the south of Jeshimon. When Saul and his men went to seek him, they told David. Therefore he went down to the rock and stayed in the wilderness of Maon. Uh, and when Saul heard that, he pursued David in the wilderness of Maon. And then Saul went on one side of the mountain, and David his men on the other side of the mountain. So David made ha- a haste to get away from Saul, for Saul and his men were encircling David and his men to take them. And so you gotta, if you're in David's uh, shoes right now, you're thinking, oh, the promises of God, they don't mean a thing. I'm surrounded. I'm surrounded by the enemy. And this is the end. And so this is so often what happens to us when we get in a situation that it, it looks like our, our, our life is just going to be destroyed and, and all God's protection, and all His promises of protection, His, uh, His promises to meet our needs, His promises to, uh, to be with us to the ends of the earth, His promise uh, to just encourage us, uh, we, we just throw them out the window because everything around us, it looks like we're encircled by uh, the enemy and it's just, it's just coming in and it's just about to devour us. Uh, what did we say we need to do when the enemy is attacking? Ephesians chapter 6, stand fast. It says there in... Uh, it says there in verse 25, When Saul and his men went to seek him, they told David, uh, Therefore uh, he went down to the rock. Again, I, I, let, me, let me see here. Verse 27 actually is where we left up. But it says, But a messenger came to Saul, saying, Hurry and come, for the Philistines have invaded the land. Therefore Saul returned from pursuing David and went against the Philistine. So they called that place the Rock of Escape. Then David went up and from there and went to the strongholds of En Gedi. So, you know, when God has his hand on your life, there's absolutely no way that Satan is going to be able to, to, to take your life from you. Your life will not be taken from you one second before God's timing. And it doesn't matter if it appears the sky's falling down. And, and so, you, you know, David had to be thinking, all the promises of God, they're going out the window. But look what happens. Uh, Saul is called away. He's called away. And so that is David. What is he learning here? He's learning to just the, the, the faith walk, just to be built up in faith and to believe in God for his protection, to believe in God for his uh, protection. So chapter 24, 
says, Now it happened when Saul had returned from following the Philistines that it was told him, Take note, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. So you really, as you're reading through this, you really do get a sense of just how difficult it must have been for David, just wearing down on him anywhere he went. He was ratted out and 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 Saul is just pursuing him and he's got to, this is over a period of years this is happening and it's just got to be really weary for him when am i going to just be able to settle down when am i going to be able to just settle down and uh and just take it easy for a while and and this is indeed the life uh, the, uh, uh, this is is indeed representative of many seasons of our life as believers, where we just need to keep pursuing God uh, in faith. And so uh, he's ratted out again, and it says, Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and went to seek David and his men on the rocks of the wild goats. So he came to the sheepholds by the road where there was a cave, and Saul went in to attend to his needs. In other words, he went in to go to the bathroom. And and David and his men were staying in the recesses of the cave. So they are in this place called En Gedi that is at the southern, uh, actually just north of the, uh, of the Dead Sea. I understand it's, uh, it's a very desolate place down there, but there's the place that David was where all the caves were actually was in sort of a mountain uh, place and there was long, long caves there. Some of them were a half mile into the mountain. So even though David had about 600 men, there were probably a lot of them way deep into these caves. Probably not all of them were in this one cave. And they thought that you know they'd hide out in there, and and Saul would just uh, uh, go right by. Uh, but that's not what happened. Uh, Saul, uh, uh, Saul actually <laughs> had to relieve himself. And so uh, he went into the cave, and, and so uh, here's the picture. The David's men are in the cave. Their eyes have sort of adjusted to the darkness. Uh, Saul is coming out. He's very weary. He's very tired. And uh, he, he's coming out of the blazing sun, so it's pitch, pitch black. Uh, he can't see a thing. Uh, and he goes into this cave. And he's right before David. And David has the opportunity to kill him here. And, you know, there are times in every Christian's life where you come to a juncture where what you do at that juncture is just going to define who you are as a Christian. Are you a follower of Jesus or are you someone who just sort of just fleshes out at, at every opportunity. And this was it for, for David. It's, uh, let's go on here. It says that, so, you know, Saul is right here. He's uh, relieving himself. And it says, The men of David said to him, This is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hands. Once again, someone using the name of the Lord in vain. Someone misrepresenting God. God had never said that. And they're saying, oh, but God, you know, told me this. And so oftentimes, the body of Christ, you'll hear people, God told me this, God told me that. And, and you know, you don't hear people saying, I believe God told me this, I believe God told me that. But you just, you hear them using God's name in vain, and that's what uh, is going on here. They're misrepresenting God. They're saying uh, here, behold, 
this, this is the day the Lord said to you, I will deliver your enemies into your hand that you may uh, do to him as it seemed good to you. And David arose and secretly cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Now it happened afterward that David's heart was trouble, troubled him because he had cut Saul's robe. And he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. So David restrained his servants with these words and did not allow them to rise against Saul. And Saul got up from the cave and went on his way. And David also arose afterward, went out of the cave, and called out to Saul, saying, My Lord the king! And when Saul looked behind him, David stopped with his face to the earth and bowed down. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Indeed, David seeks your harm? Look, this day your eyes have seen that the Lord delivered you today into my hand in the cave. And someone urged me to kill you. But my eyes spared you, and I said, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father, see... Yes, see the corner of your robe in my hand. For in that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you. Know and see that there is neither evil nor rebellion in my hand. And I have not sinned against you. Yet you hunt my life to take it. Let the Lord judge between you and me. And let the Lord avenge me on you. But my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancient says, wickedness proceeds from the wicked, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom do you pursue? A dead dog? A flea? Therefore let the Lord be the judge, and judge between you and me, and see and plead my case, and deliver me out of your hand. So it was when David had finished speaking these words to Saul, that Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. Then he said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have rewarded me with good, whereas I have rewarded you with evil. And you have shown this day how you have dealt well with me, for when the Lord delivered me into your hand, you did not kill me. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him get away safely? Therefore may the Lord reward you with good For what you have done to me this day, and now I know indeed that you surely shall be king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Therefore, swear now to me by by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants after me, and that you will not destroy my name from my father's house. So David swore to Saul, and Saul went home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. So that last oath that David took, he swore to Saul that that when he became king, he wouldn't kill off Saul's descendants, which they often did at the time. And David uh, honored that uh, by preserving the son of David, Meshibaleth or Meshibapheth, or I, 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 I can never get it right. But, um, uh, but, but anyway, uh, it was uh, preserved there. So uh, here you have just a wonderful, wonderful example of someone getting to a moment of crisis in their life and proceeding by faith. It would have been so easy to rationalize killing Saul and then just throwing sort of some 
uh, trappings of religion over it to justify him. You know, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, kill him, you know. And as they said here, today's the day the Lord delivered your enemy into your hands. You quote scripture and all kinds of stuff to justify whatever kind of evil behavior. But, but David refuses to give in to that temptation. And, you know, Paul says that we don't battle as Christians with the weapons of this world. Uh, we battle with something uh, completely, uh, weapons that are completely different. Uh, love, humility, self-control, kindness, uh, and, and the principles in the Sermon of the Mount, which I want to turn there in a while, but loving our enemy. Uh, but here David is so conscious of the leading of the, the Holy Spirit uh, that he had such a sensitive heart, he's even convicted of cutting a little piece of, of cloth from uh, Saul's robe. And, and we think, oh, come on, that's not such a bad thing. But, but he was sensitive that, that, you know, Saul, technically he was still the king of Israel, and, and David calls him the anointed of God. He was the king. And, and until God removed him as king over Israel, it was not David's uh, right to even cut the corner off of his robe. And so this has helped me so much over the years when there's someone over me in authority, uh, whether it's a, a, a pastor, whether it's a boss, uh, whether it's some kind of relationship, the government or whatever, uh, that is over me in authority. And sometimes like with our boss or, or something, uh, we feel like because they're doing something that's wrong. I mean, Saul was doing something clearly wrong here. Uh, but, but David doesn't say, well, he's doing something wrong, therefore I have the right to come against them. You know, if someone's over you in authority, such as a boss, they may be treating you like a dirtbag every day, even though you're, you're living like a, a completely righteous life. That doesn't uh, give you the justification to try to undermine, undermine them in any way. You know, slander them, gossip about them, you know, secretly try to bring about their downfall or, or, or do a bad job for them because they don't deserve it. Uh, you know, God, God placed that person in authority uh, over um, your life and you need to honor it and wait on the Lord to remove that person uh, rather than you try to do it yourself. And so um, here some call this David's greatest victory. You know, it's one thing that he beat Goliath, but uh, it's one thing to beat Goliath, sort of the enemy from without. But let me tell you, uh, if all you can do is sort of beat your, your external enemies, but you're not able to defeat your flesh, to defeat your flesh, the lust, the pride, the uh, ego, the selfish ambition, uh, the, the, your will... Let me tell you, you will never become the man or woman that God wants you to be. The victory over Goliath was great, but let me tell you, this is what made David into the king of Israel. And, uh, you know, is there someone in your life that is just intertwined in your life and, and in your heart you're saying, oh, God, just get rid of them? Well, you know, some people think that uh, David calls Saul, God's anointed in his life here, because Saul was that man that was going to 
form him, his integrity, his character, uh, the depth of his character, the compassion in his life. And, 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 you know, there was no one more important than Saul in shaping David's life to be the man that God uh, wants him to be. So, you know, you and I need to be, we need to have enough wisdom that the person that's in our life tormenting us is there for our spiritual development. You know, so many times this happens in marriage where there's problems in a marriage. And, you know, people tend to think of their husband or their wife or whatever, their, their girlfriend, boyfriend, as completing them. You know, I'm rough around the edges, but she's soft and sweet, so she completes me. Ooh, you know, really nice, you know. Uh, but, you know, so many times there's marriage problems because people see, well, this woman's not completing me. Uh, she's, she's, you know, all my weaknesses, she's just flouting them. She's just taking advantage of them, and she's creating a mess in my marriage. She's not completing me or, 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 or the other way uh, around. She's just being selfish and argumentative. And, and she's not being soft and sweet or whatever. And so and, and, and instead, uh, you, you need to recognize that this person, this husband in your life, this wife, they're God's anointed in your, in your life. There's, a, you know, 20 million other women God could have appointed to you, but he's given you this one, and, and he's given her to you because he wants you to become a king of sorts, a king in his mind, a king meaning the person that he wants you to be, and 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 and, and you know you need to accept her position instead of honey. You're, you're you're just so selfish and rude. It should be honey. You're God's anointed. You know that's that's what it needs to be. And 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 so anyway, I do want to turn to Matthew chapter five. There's there's certain verses I just think we need to to uh, read. Several, several times a year in a sermon, much less in our own. But this is Matthew 5, 43 through 45 are just some verses that seem to be completely forgotten many times, you know, in the church. And yet it's the very heart, the very heartbeat of who God is. Uh, Jesus says in verse 43, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. And so uh, uh, we need to, when there's someone who's just tormenting us in our life, we need to uh, pray about what will bring happiness and blessing and joy to this person's life. And we need to do it in the power of the Holy Spirit, of course, because it's impossible in our flesh. And, and, and it says here we need to bless, not curse. So how do we curse? We curse people by in, 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 you know, withhold what we withhold from them. We curse people by not praying for them. We curse people by our attitudes uh, uh, towards them. It says, do good to those who hate you. And, and so we need to, to look for, for ways to consider this person who's tormenting us, we need to, to consider and treat them as if they were better than ourselves. Uh, what can you do to make 
to, to make their life easier, to, to bless them. And, and it says, pray for those who spitefully use you. You know, the more people bug you, the more you should be praying about them. You know, it, it's hard to feel bad uh, about someone when you're always praying for someone. You know, you, you pray for someone, God may choose, appear to choose not to do a work in their life, but let me tell you, He's doing a work in your heart. He's doing a work in your heart towards them. And without prayer, uh, that's not going to, your heart's going to harden. And and sometimes uh, God seems to, uh, seems to just work in us through how we're, we're uh, praying, you know, out uh, a a situation. Let me ask you a question. In, In all seriousness, if there's a person in your life who just drives you to prayer big time, why would you ever want God to take them out of your life. I, I, I mean, seriously. If they're, they're just driving you to prayer more than anything, you know, why is it that we want to get, get rid of them? Well, you know, it's our flesh. And, and, and you know something? Uh, if, if you're taking uh, notes, write this down. The person who will wait for God to move in their lives and not take things into their own hands is a person of exceedingly great power. Oh, that is so true. Uh, the person who's willing to wait on God to remove someone or bring someone into their life, uh, to move in their lives and not take things into their own hands is a person of exceedingly great power. Let God raise you up and put you down. Don't you do that. And, and you, you trust in, in, in the Lord. And the end result will be what? You will become a man of God, a woman of God, someone who knows about the full-blown power of God. And, and so how are we ever going to know the power of God if we uh, take these matters in our own hand? And, and so look at what uh, you know, David, he doesn't use back in uh, chapter 24, he doesn't use a sword. He, what he uses is... Uh, is he, he acts in the opposite spirit of how Saul was acting towards him. He forgives him. He relents. He doesn't take vengeance on him. And what does he do? Saul departs. So, you know, David doesn't throw a single stone. He doesn't even draw his sword. And what did Paul say? We don't use the weapons of this world. So how effective are the weapons of God when we're when we're willing to use them. Okay, we will take up uh, chapter 25 next week. So uh, if you are willing and are able, we are coming back here to pray in about 10 minutes. Uh, the women gather in, in, in prayer groups and the men gather in, gather in prayer groups. And uh, tonight, Scott, what, what should we pray for tonight? What's the ministry we're praying for? Okay, we, we support uh, Calvary Chapel Missions, and uh, that is uh, Calvary Chapel in Boise, Idaho, have, have started about 100 churches in, in, uh, in India, and we support one of those churches. So let's pray for that pastor. His name is Pastor Lazarus, Pastor Lazarus. So let's pray for Pastor Lazarus tonight, and then uh, Kirk, if you can hand his Kirk around. I, I guess not. 
Uh, Kirk, if you, uh, well, let me see. Can you, why don't you look for just the, the little, the, the messages, and we can pray for uh, those, those things as well. Okay, well, God bless you. If you need to go home, God bless you. If you want to return to prayer, uh, come back in 10 minutes.